Hello, hello, and welcome to Feminism Now. I'm Christian F. Nunes, the national president of the National Organization for Women. So what a year it has been. As we close out 2023, I'm so excited to be in conversation with two truly amazing women who are working tirelessly to advance health equity and reproductive rights and freedom for people across the country. The first guest we have today is Nancy Davis, who's an activist and leader whose personal experience being denied an abortion in Louisiana turned her into an advocate for individuals like herself who face barriers for accessing the reproductive health care and resources they deserve. Everyone, help us welcome Nancy Davis. And our second guest is Alexis McGill Johnson, the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Action Fund and Planned Parenthood Federation of America, an organization promoting sexual and reproductive health and education across the nation. I'm sure you have probably seen Alexis everywhere. So we are so excited to have this amazing conversation we're going to have today. So everyone help me welcome Alexis Muggle Johnson. And once again, Alexis and Nancy, welcome to Feminism Now. Thank you so much, Christian. Okay, so just starting off, you know, we have heard so many conversations after the overturning of Roe versus Wade about abortion access, abortion bans, and just the constant fight for bodily autonomy. And we've seen so many heart-wrenching stories about women fighting for their rights. Um, And one of the common terms we've heard is reproductive freedom. Can we talk a little bit more about that? I would love for both of you to kind of tell me When you think about reproductive freedom, what does that look like to you? I'll start with you, Nancy. Tell me what you think reproductive freedom looks like to you. And just in general, how do we collectively move toward the reality of reproductive freedom as we go toward 2024? That's a really, really good question, Christian. Reproductive freedom, to me, it signifies the fundamental right for individuals to make choices about their reproductive health without interference. You know, it it truly um, encompasses the ability to access comprehensive health care, family planning, and the autonomy to decide if and when and how to have children. That's great. So for you, it's just people being able to truly decide for themselves if they want to have children, if they don't want to have children, and just fully having that free agency to make the choices for themselves. Yes, correct. and. I think you probed the question about moving forward. Well, moving forward, my mission is clear. We must challenge the restrictive policies that deny us our reproductive rights and also challenge the stigmatization surrounding abortion. Okay, that sounds wonderful. Alexis, what is your take on this? Reproductive freedom in 2024 looks a lot like what reproductive freedom has always meant which is our ability to engage in our own self-determination, to make private medical decisions without the influence or insertion of politicians. And it means being able to get the access to the care that we need when we need it, uh, where we need it in state. 
So I think this is really important when we think about what we've been seeing for the past year or so, especially post-Dobbs decision and just how much reproductive health and maternal health has really suffered. And I mean, do you all think that listeners and people in the general public recognize that reproductive health also has had a major impact on maternal health? And how are we seeing this play out in everyday life for the community? Well, I think the thing that we have seen this year, right, I mean, we all know the state of play. There are 21 states that have restricted or banned access to abortion since Dobbs. That means over one in three women plus more trans and non-binary folks don't have access to abortion. What we haven't talked as much about is how when abortion is banned, pregnancy becomes more dangerous. We have seen countless stories and, you know, obviously Nancy's own experience here of patients having to get on the road and travel in ways to get access, not just to to abortion care, but but also oftentimes in relationship to miscarriage care, which is also abortion care. And we've also seen the impact on providers. There have been a decline in OBGYN providers in states with bans, particularly those who engage in high-risk pregnancies. And so the kind of health deserts that we're seeing come to light in the wake of Dobbs, I think is telling a much broader story about how abortion is a part of sexual and reproductive health care when it has been isolated and stigmatized for so long, but it's really demonstrating the kind of fullness of why we always say abortion is part of health care. And Alexis, you bring up really personally Nancy's story. And so I love Nancy Davis's story. And Nancy, I have to share our personal connection with um, how we met in your story because Nancy's story is so important and I'm going to give you a chance to tell your story, Nancy, so I'm not going to like <laughs> go too far into it. But it's such a personal story about the nexus of maternal and, and paternal health. But Nancy and I actually met when she was sharing her story and fighting for a reproductive rights and abortion access and importance of the need for care and policy on uh, talk show. <laughs> so Nancy, why don't you share with us why your story is so important and why you decided to start the Nancy Davis Foundation? Can you share that for the listeners? I most certainly can, Christian. Where do I start? <laughs> Let me just say that this past year has been very, very challenging. And I honestly had no idea when the overturning of Roe v. Wade took place that my life would be affected the way it has, and also my family's life. You know, last year, I was confronted with a very painful reality in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. To put it briefly, I sought an abortion for a non-viable fetus that was diagnosed with the crania. For those that aren't familiar with the crania, it's the abscess of the skull and most of the brain. Now, this was a very, very difficult choice but what made it even more complex was the restrictive abortion bans in Louisiana. So the doctors, our healthcare provider, initially quoted $6,000 for the abortion procedure to be done, in which we thought that that was very, very steep, you know, and it took an unexpected turn when we were actually denied due to the fetus still having a heartbeat and due to Louisiana abortion bans. This decision was very confusing, being that Louisiana has exceptions in place and it should have been covered under those list of exceptions. But this forced us to travel nearly 1,400 miles away to Manhattan, New York, 
to Planned Parenthood of Greater New York to receive abortion care. When you talk about your story, Nancy, it's really important because the reality is like your case should have been covered, right? It should have been covered under the exceptions in the laws of Louisiana. But my understanding was because the actual diagnosis wasn't listed. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, Acrania was not listed on the list of exceptions, although it still should have been covered under those list of exceptions. So it really highlights the confusion amongst the laws and how the doctors are actually scared to provide these services because they are scared of prosecution, being fined, and even jail time, you know? Absolutely. And I think what we are kind of seeing is that, you know, these extremists are finding any reason to deny bodily autonomy to women. Wouldn't you say so? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, just three three hours ago, uh, the judge in Texas granted uh, Kate Cox an emergency abortion. But think about that. She had to go before the court to ask for the right to get an abortion and so, and to justify it, right? I mean, I think that what Nancy's story, I think, is really indicative of what we are seeing with patients across the South and the Midwest are patients who are being made to justify their healthcare need, to justify their decisions about when and if they, you know, want to start a family or continue a family to raise resources, to travel out of state, or to go to a court, right, to make a case for why they should be trusted to make their own decisions around their own bodies, or actually, really, because they are not trusted to be able to make decisions about their bodies. They have to go and plea in front of a judge. That kind of just outrageous shift in allowing politicians to write a policy And as if they are medical providers themselves and know every possible eventuality, I think is just like the most insane thing. And I think that that's why we have seen such a swift backlash against many of these states and against many of these lawmakers, because people understand that medical providers should be making these decisions with patients, right? Not with lawmakers. Well, absolutely. Like Nancy was pointing out too, you're also pointing out is that it's going against everything, you know, these medical providers have gone to school for to do no harm, to be in best interest of their patients. And and it's causing them to have to violate so many of their ethics in order to uphold these policies written by people who have no sense of understanding of, of the basic biology of a woman's body or a person's body and how it works or functions, you know? And here women are ha- and, and persons who can get pregnant are having to like defend themselves and put, be put through trauma to prove that they have this right to ownership. And I think that goes to the larger problem that we're seeing. This question is for both of you. Like we're coming up to a big election year, right? So what do we see? How do we play it in 2024? What do we need to do in order to really fight back? Well, the abortion bans pretty much underscores the urgent need for continued advocacy, continued education, and also collaboration to protect and advance reproductive rights for everyone no matter like where you are in the world. Yeah, and I think what we're seeing is that we are winning, right? I mean, you know, Christian, what you named is the fact that voters 
have said consistently how they feel about getting access to reproductive health care, including abortion. And everywhere where abortion has been on the ballot, we have won, right? Because people understand like what is at stake in a very real and material way. They've, you know, in their personal experience or the stories that they are hearing that have come out post-OBS. And so I think, you know, when you look at kind of what happened, not just in last year's cycle of uh, ballot initiatives and the midterms, what we are seeing now in the Ohio ballot initiative, most recently the Virginia elections, you know, continuing to see the energy that voters are calling out their electeds, that they do not like the decisions that they've made. And so I think that the, the real opportunity here for us to, to rebuild reproductive freedom um, and reimagine reproductive freedom starting in 2024 is about, you know, ensuring that we get to a governing majority of reproductive freedom voters and politicians so that we can look towards uh, federal legislation. I really like what you said, Alexis, about reimagining reproductive freedom, what that looks like, because I think that's so important. And I think for so long, we only heard stories of certain people. And so part of this reimagining is making sure it's inclusive storytelling and making sure that we are including the narratives of everyone in this reproductive freedom vision. <laughs> so that way we're also encouraging everyone to be a part of transforming this vision. I think Nancy's story has been a, a really effective in, in driving policy. So Nancy, this question is for you because I don't want you to think I'm speaking of you without you. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. But do you think, you know, personal stories are going to be effective in 2024 with helping drive policy change? I definitely, wholeheartedly, 100% think that. You know, personal stories is a way of showing the impact of these laws, you know. And it's very funny because recently I sat down with Diane Sawyer and Rachel Sack and did a segment about the impact of the abortion bans. And it was myself and several other women and just hearing the stories and hearing how a lot of them actually had to carry their baby to bury their baby. And not only that, but a lot of them also almost lost their lives. They almost died, you know, to the point to where these medical board of the hospital said, okay, well, you're not sick enough yet. So we can't do anything until you get sick enough. So they literally almost lost their lives. And I just feel like those stories are very, very important in creating and moving forward with policy changes because it shows the effects of them and the real life situations that people are going through all around the world. And for my story, personally, Louisiana has added, as you mentioned earlier, a small change, but it's a change moving in the right direction that advocacy does work. And these stories, whether you believe it or not, that people are listening. They are actually listening, you know? Absolutely. Now, Alexis, how has Planned Parenthood been effective in shifting policy regarding reproductive freedom? Well, I mean, it starts with the stories that Nancy talked about. It starts with hearing from patients about their lived experience with the policies 
that's what makes it real, right? That's what helps us understand why these policies are harmful and helps us gain a footing and grounding in what we need to fight for to actually make reproductive freedom real. And so while we have these 21 states with these uh, horrific restrictions, we are also seeing many states fight back and push to expand care. We see policy efforts to do everything from advocate for shield laws to protect doctors who prescribe in states from not being prosecuted by banned states or extradited. We've seen um, states push to include nurse practitioners or other clinicians to expand the availability of providers who are able to provide abortion care. We have seen states push for state coverage of, of abortion, knowing that federally we are restricted by the Hyde Amendment in allowing patients who rely on public uh, assistance to get access to care. These are, you know, state-by-state fights, and they are also incredibly critical to restoring and strengthening an infrastructure that, quite frankly, has been harmed and gutted by decades of uh, abortion restrictions and targeted restrictions against abortion providers, so-called trap laws. You know, the infrastructure pre-Dobbs was was already under siege. Just because there was a federal right, a constitutional right to abortion, didn't mean that everyone had equal access to it. And so the idea of, of where we are right now from a policy perspective is an opportunity for us to reimagine what would full free access to care look like. How do we think about not just restoring Roe, but I like to say in political circles, we need to actually build Roe back better. <laughs> We need to create a much stronger floor and aspire towards what it means to be able to have full autonomy over your body and your private medical decisions um, and how you how you access that, you know, how you pay for it, how you resource that, how you ensure that you have the support that you need, whether you choose to build a family or not. And so I think the foundation of what we are fighting for, the activism that what we are seeing across the board with so many different new constituencies coming into the fight, uh, means we have an opportunity to really rethink uh, our policy gains and ensure that we are pushing to the limit where we can um, and building a stronger state-by-state governing majority so that we can create national federal pressure. Because the opposition is clear, right? They want a national ban. The opposition wants to make sure not only is abortion unattainable, but also unthinkable. And the work that we are doing to make abortion more available, make it undeniable, make it unquestionable, make our bodies ungovernable is the most critical thing we could be doing as we move into 24. Absolutely. And I also want to add, they're not just coming after, you know, abortion access. They're coming after like contraception. They're coming after IVF. They're coming after everything. You know, it's like, it's a total power and control issue. And one of the things I think sometimes people forget is that Planned Parenthood offers a full range of services that we forget. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, senior year in high school, like I suffered early on from really, you know, horrible menstrual cramps. And later on, I found out that I had endometriosis, but Planned Parenthood was the first place I went to get evaluated, you know, by OBGYN to help me control my menstrual cramps and reduce the pain. And people don't understand that contraception is used for a lot of different reasons. I think that 
part of what you all do very effectively, you've had lots of different campaigns to help people understand the full range of you know services that are out there. But part of what we have to also continue to do is educate people on fully what reproductive services look like and fight back on the, all the disinformation that we see that's out there so people understand that reproductive rights and freedom is for everyone. Yes, and can I make a comment on, <laughs> on Planned Parenthood and their services? As you know, I love Planned Parenthood. I really believe a lot of people have misguided or misleading information about Planned Parenthood. Christian, as you were saying, that they offer a wide range of services besides abortions. Like, I still utilize Planned Parenthood to this day, <laughs> honestly. And, and even before my abortion, I utilized Planned Parenthood for my birth control for my cervical exams, you know, there were times where I did not have insurance, literally did not have anything, no Medicaid, no nothing. And I went to Planned Parenthood and they still saw me and they still gave me the same respect as if I had Medicaid or any other type of insurance. So Planned Parenthood is a lifeline for people all over the world. Absolutely. I I appreciate you pointing that out, Nancy, because I think it's one of those things sometimes we have to recognize when we're also talking about economic justice and services and access. We all need to make sure we're working to make sure that Planned Parenthood is staying in our communities and other orgs that are also staying in our communities that are providing those services as well. I know we're just starting to start this conversation, but we're running out of time. So I just want to find out from either one of you, is there any last things that you want us to know about your organizations or as we're moving into 2024 that's really important as we talk about the fight for reproductive freedom? So I will start with you, Alexis, and I'll go to you, Nancy. Yes, well, thank you again for having me on in conversation with you, Christian, and with you, Nancy. It is just such a delight to be in a moment that we are in that is completely challenging and horrific, but being in a movement with like incredibly brilliant, thoughtful leaders like you all and women of color, Black women who are, you know, I think bringing a a natural lens to the economic justice fight that you named the the right to control what our kids read all of the, all of the things that actually make us full and free citizens you know the thing that i think about um as we go into 2024 is how important it will be for us to maintain the momentum we are on in this moment right that we have consistently proven that as i said before when abortion is on the ballot you know freedom wins and we cannot break serve, right? The opposition, they're going to try so hard, to your point, not just to come after abortion access, but they're already coming after gender-affirming care. They're coming after birth control, contraception, emergency contraception, coming after IVF. They're coming after all the ways in which we control our ability to express ourselves, ability to express our bodies, and our voice in our own democracy, right? It is no accident that many of the same states that have abortion bans have restrictions uh, that they have tried to place on our ability to vote. And so I think that we should be very afraid of the, the power and control that they are advocating for. We should be very concerned about the ways in which They have locked in such a strong political advantage. And we should also be really hopeful about um, the fact that the majority of people will continue to be on our side. 
So my call to action is to not let up. My call to action is to make sure that we keep the fight for reproductive freedom frontline and center in every single conversation, every, you know, Saturday morning at the beauty shop, every school board meeting with our, you know, fellow parents at our family holiday dinners in the grocery store line, because it is the continuation, the conversation of the stories and particularly the stories, you know, sharing the real impact of these bands like Nancy has done with us so beautifully today. That to me is going to be the difference. So my CTA is to keep it up. All right. And Nancy. Yeah, it, it, it has been an honor being here with all of you. You guys are powerhouses. You know, I hope I'm as good once I get a little older like you all. <laughs> I would like to bring up the foundation. Well, the Nancy Davis Foundation was actually founded in response to a deeply personal and challenging experience, as I briefly talked about, that we went through last year. And after being denied care, you know, it really highlighted the need, the critical need for resources reform in reproductive health care and maternal rights, especially in regions like Louisiana, where access to reproductive services are restricted. The foundation is committed to making a positive impact, and we are dedicated to promoting reproductive justice, women's health, community development through advocacy, education, and support. Now, it is a call to action for all of us to stand united demanding a future where no one experiences the anguish of denied access, where reproductive choices are honored, respected, and free from judgment. All right. So y'all all heard it from Alexis and Nancy that we must continue to push and continue to fight, stand united so that no one is denied care regardless of their difference. We must be united always. I am so thankful to have you both, Nancy and Alexis, on Feminism Now. You both are doing amazing, brilliant work that I know is coming truly from your hearts and you're unapologetic about it, which you know I always love. So thank you for being on the show with us today. Listeners, if you would like to hear more, please feel free to email us. If you have a show idea, email us at feminismnow at NOW.org. Thank you for listening. Have a happy holidays and we'll be back in the new year. As always, come with us, stay engaged and don't stop the fight. Have a great day, everyone. Topica.